You're listening to the podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a church in Gloucester, England. life is not smooth. It involves trials and difficulties and troubles and uh, tests. And in our passage this evening, we find Abraham, our father in the faith, undergoing this extremely severe test of his faith and of his obedience. And the passage as a whole is really is the climax, as I said, of the whole of the the Abrahamic cycle. Uh, One commentator said that the whole of this chapter reverberates with echoes of earlier parts of the Abraham cycle. And we've seen that that all these these Abrahamic uh, narratives, it revolves around the gift of this son, this promised seed, the one through whom blessing will come to the nations. Finally, now, after 25 years of waiting, Abraham and Sarah have experienced this mighty miracle and this provision of the son Isaac, who is born. And in this passage, we see that Abraham's faith and his obedience is tested as God calls him to sacrifice his son. And so in the passage, we see that the faith of Abraham and this test, and we also see just typified and foreshadowed in so many ways and remarkable ways, um, Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. And so we come to this text. It's it's actually one of the shorter units in in Genesis. I'm only looking at 19 verses. In a few weeks, chapter 24 is 67 verses long, so you can look forwards to that one. Um, But this one, really, it breaks down. We have God's command in verses 1 and 2, Abraham's obedience in verses 3 to 11, God's provision, 12 to 14, and then God's promise, 15 to 19. So let us come to the text. After this, we re- after these things, God tested Abraham. Well, after what things? Well, after the birth of Isaac and after him growing up and after Ishmael has been expelled from uh, the household. Uh, after these things, after they've come to settle in Beersheba and be settled and have water rights there. After these things, God tested Abraham. Abraham had been through many trials and tests uh, already uh, from the the beginning, from chapter 12 onwards. And you might think that this was a time for him in his life where he might settle down and write his spiritual autobiography, all the challenges that he'd been through. But no, they had actually all been building to this great and final test. Now, we're taught in Scripture that God does not tempt us to do evil. He doesn't Um, do that. So in James chapter 1, we read that God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. So we're tempted to do wrong because of what's inside of us, because of our own corrupt nature, and Satan works on that to to lead us uh, to do wrong. But God does allow his people to undergo testing and trials of various kinds, ultimately for our good, ultimately to strengthen our faith 
uh, and to work in us that which is pleasing to God. So we see in this passage, he's testing Abraham. We have this command in verse 1 and 2. Verse 1, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. Uh, Ishmael was God's son, biologically, but at this point, we know that Ishmael has been cut off from the inheritance. He is not to inherit. He is not the heir. So Isaac is, in that sense, the only son and heir. Abraham's future, uh, the future of the promises of God, are all bound up with his only son, Isaac. The future of salvation all hangs upon Isaac. So take your son, your only son, Isaac, and, and those words are repeated through through the whole chapter, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Well, he's called to go to the land uh, which I will show you. That may sound familiar. That's an, an echo of uh, chapter 12 when he called Abraham out of Ur and said, go to the land uh, I will show you. And here Abraham again is called to go to the place that he will show him. So there again we see Abraham, his whole life has been one where he has to trust God's word of uh, promise. And he's called to go to the land of Moriah. And we know that from later in the Bible, this is the place, uh, this is the site uh, where Solomon would build the temples. We read in 2 Corinthians 3, 2, 2 Corinthians, 2 Chronicles, uh, chapter 3, verse 1. Then Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. So we see all these things in this chapter foreshadow those later events and ultimately foreshadow the death of Christ. So Abraham is the first to take this pilgrimage to the place of worship. That would be the place where Israel would go up, where they would sing those songs of praise on the way up uh, to the place of festival, to the place where burned offerings would be made on the altar. It's all foreshadowed here. But Abraham is called to go offer his only son there as a burned offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Well, it comes as a shock. It comes as a terrifying command. It's so familiar to us, but what a great shock to Abraham. And so what are we to make sense? How are we to make sense of this? Well, Abraham must have just pondered and, and, and thought and meditated, reflected on this amidst the shock. I mean, Abraham knew that his son Isaac was that promised offspring, the promised seed through whom God had promised to bless the world. All the promises of God are bound up with his son. And furthermore, Abraham, he knew the great promise of Genesis 3, 15. He would have known this, this great promise that the offspring of the woman would bruise the, the head of the serpent, would defeat evil, but that, uh, that his heel would be bruised. In other words, that this, his, this promised offspring would defeat evil and in doing so would himself be bruised, would be hurt. So did, did Abraham think that Isaac was the promised offspring, the Messiah, the one to put an end to sin? Was that running through his mind? Well, we don't know, but in, in his shock, he must have sort of meditated and thought 
on all that God had said concerning this promised seed. And he was called to offer his son as a burned offering. Abraham's not simply called to randomly kill his son, but to make a sacrificial offering. And these, these kinds of offerings would have been familiar to Abraham. Uh, Noah had made burnt offerings after, after the flood, offerings of, of animals which had been killed and then burned up um, for, for an offering for sin. And Abraham would have made similar offerings as he made these great sites of worship in the land. And so now he's called to make this sacrifice of his son, Isaac. Was Isaac going to be the means whereby God would remove sin? Well, Abraham had much to ponder. And we, we don't know much of what passed through his mind, although later we will see, uh, we know some of what passed through his mind. Well, what does he do? What does he do, verse 3? And we move on to see Abraham's obedience, verses 3 to 10. Verse 3, so Abraham rose early in the morning. Um, he is resolute. He gets up early and resolved to obey the voice of the Lord. And um, he, he's there and he, first of all, he, um, he gets the, saddles the donkey and then he gets the young men and then Isaac and then finally he gets uh, the wood. And people have pointed out that the order of this is rather strange. The wood is mentioned several times, but he's doing all this slightly out of order. It's a bit like uh, strapping the kids into the car before uh, packing your suitcase. He's getting everything ready and then getting the wood. Perhaps this reflects his state of confusion and his state of mind. At any rate, the wood is emphasized because of it is needed for this coming sacrifice. It highlights what is about to happen. So he arose and goes to the place where God had told him. And on the third day, he lifted up his eyes. The third day, the day on which things happen in Scripture, the third day is the day that God met with his people on Sinai, the third day, the day of resurrection. The third day, he lifts up his eyes and sees the place from afar. And he says to his young men, stay here with the donkey. He goes on with his son. It's too steep for the donkeys. He goes up the mount. And he says, I, to the young men, his servants, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And we see from this verse that Abraham thinks that he will go with worship, go with Isaac to worship on the mountain, and then that he will return with Isaac. Literally, he says, um, we will worship and then we will come back to you. And that's picked up a little bit better. You can see that here in the ESV, but it's picked up a bit better, and the original is reflected a bit better in some of the other translations. So you see that he's he got this hope that Isaac is going to come back with him. And we read in Hebrews, uh, develops on this and reflects on it. So Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 through 19, reflects on this. It says this, By faith, Abraham... When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. Verse 19, he considered 
that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Do you hear that? He reasoned, he figured that God could raise his son from the dead. Abraham is called to obey God. There's this costly test of obedience. And as he obeys God, he's, he's meditating, he's reflecting, uh, perhaps on the promises of God, but certainly here on the power of God to even to raise the dead. And this comforts him and strengthens him in what is ahead of him. It strengthens his trust in God. And so Abraham goes on to climb the mountain uh, with his son, the two of them together. Verse 6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. And this, I think, shows something of their relative strength. Abraham is 100 years old. He takes uh, the fire uh, and the knife. And uh, his son Isaac, who most likely has been called a boy, it's, it's, he's a lad, most likely a fairly hefty teenager at this point. Isaac is loaded up with the wood. So Isaac would have been um, stronger than his, his father, strong enough to overpower his father. Um, and I think that, that's important because we can reflect on something of actually Isaac's uh, willingness he doesn't run away. His willingness to go through with this. And so uh, they went, both of them, together. And the unity and closeness between father and son is just highlighted here. And we have these remarkable words. Uh, Isaac says to his father, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the father would. But where is the lamb? For the burnt offering. Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. And the, the silence speaks volumes. And this has been described as one of the most poignant moments in the whole of, of literature. But what was, what was Isaac thinking? What did he understand as he carried the wood on his back up Mount Moriah as he climbed the dusty road? God will provide the lamb, his father had said. How will God provide the lamb? Am I the lamb uh, who's been provided? Am I the one God has provided for sin? Did he reflect on that? Or did he just continue in quiet obedience to his father, knowing that his father loved him so deeply, trusting in his earthly father? And so Isaac climbs the hill with the wood on his back, and he's a, a type of Christ, a figure of Christ, who those years later climbed Mount Moriah to the place of sacrifice, carrying the cross on his back. And they went, both of them, together. And when they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And we're just told these practical, almost mundane details here, which really, in a sense, just slow the action down for us. And Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven 
and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And he says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And you see how that's repeated, your son, your only son from me. And don't you love God's timing here? It's one of the Bible's great cliffhangers, isn't it? That moment where if you're make, making a film of this, you'd have the knife raised and that's the, the time for the commercial break. Um, we love God's timing as he provides at the very last minute. God steps in. And, um, but these things, these words that are repeated there, um, that he provides, his, um, provides for him at the last minute. But through, looping back, your, he says, your son, your only son, uh, this is repeated, and th these words get picked up. It's another connection with our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only son of God. And this language gets just echoed, I think, in Paul in Romans 8, verses 31 and 32. Say this, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, his only son, but gave him up for us all. How will not he also with him graciously give us all things? So the giving of Isaac by Abraham foreshadows the giving of the only son of God for us. So now Abraham's character has been revealed. He fears God. His trust in God is genuine. Now God, of course, knew all these things. He's omniscient. But these things now have been made known to Abraham and to others. They've been revealed. And then we see God's provision, verse 12 to 14. Sorry, 13 and not 14. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. Here we have the ram as a substitute, the ram caught in a thicket by his horns, a thicket, a low, thorny bush. And perhaps you've seen this. I was, I was walking in Wales and um, saw a ram caught by his horns in a barbed wire fence. And I thought, I know, well, let's go over and free that ram. And I got close to it and it was kicking and, and butting. And I thought, let's call the farmer to release the, la the ram because they're, they're, they're fierce. Um, but there was this ram caught by his horns there in, uh, in the thicket with his head amongst thorns. And here we have the ram as a substitute. Again, foreshadowing Christ, the Lamb of God. Think of the Lord Jesus Christ, his sacred head wrapped in a crown of thorns as Jesus was bound and led to the place of slaughter, the place where Christ, the true offspring of the woman, would bear the curse for sin and crush the head of the serpent for us. These things wonderfully foreshadowing Christ crucified. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. So we see God's wonderful provision here, uh, his wonderful provision in the, in the passage for, for Isaac through this ram, his extraordinary provision 
of sending Christ to die upon the cross as a sacrifice for our sin. And then in 15 onwards, we come to God's promise. We come to this speech, the angel of the Lord, who confirms in the strongest possible terms the blessing for Abraham. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, by myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And we sometimes, we, I think we can trip over this. Wasn't God's promise to bless the nations? His promise to Abraham, uh, founded and built on grace. Isn't the Abrahamic covenant a covenant of grace? How is it that uh, the promise to bless him is, is, seems to be contingent on Abraham's obedience? Uh, why then, because you have done this, I will bless you? Well, it is grace all the way down to the bottom. Uh, the promises of God are, are founded and established on grace. It's God's grace that actually results in Abraham's obedience. He was saved by grace through faith, but he was saved for God for good works. Um, and then God pours out his blessings on him because of those acts of obedience. So grace here uh, uh, is not in opposition to works in that sense. So here God seals and confirms his promise to Abraham. It is because of Abraham's obedience that these blessings will now flow out, but it is his obedience within the covenant of grace. And so he says, verse 17, I will surely bless you and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and we've had that, promised before and that image before and as the sand that is on the seashore and that is a, a new image here uh, the descendants of Abraham like sand on the seashore and you can think of that great promise if you're lucky enough to go to the holiday have a holiday by the beach and let the sand run through your fingers and look at the, the all the sand on the seashore think of the great promises of God and your offspring he says will possess the gate of his enemies, the gate of the city, not only that place of strong defense, but the center of political life. So the promise here is that the offspring of Abraham shall rule. So Abraham could think of all those mighty cities in Canaan uh, and could think, actually, it is my uh, offspring who will possess those cities. And we can think of the, the promises of Christ, his promise to uh, rule the nations and bless the nations, the world belongs to him and his offspring shall at length uh, rule and Christ reigns upon high. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so here again is the mighty promise of the gospel that all nations will be blessed in and through Abraham's offspring, in and through the Messiah. And this great promise means that we look forwards uh, with expectation and optimism to what God is going to, what he is doing among the nations as the gospel bears fruit and grows among the nations. And this should help to expel and dispel the, the cynicism uh, and the pessimism which so marks our own age in many ways as we, we consider afresh the great promises of God and as we see how they are worked out in scripture. And so Abraham returned then to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. 
and Abraham lived at Beersheba. And so what do we see as we consider these things and as we draw to a close? Well, we see, don't we, that Abraham's life was not a life of ease. Um, Abraham's life was an example of, of faith and obedience and difficulty from beginning to end, from chapter 12 through to chapter 22. We see uh, his trust in God's promises. We see how he supported himself through uh, reflecting and meditating on God's power and through his faith in God's promises. Uh, and we're, we're called upon to look to Abraham and Sarah as models of faith, as models of patience and endurance. These things were written for us, that we might look to them, that we might trust in uh, the Lord as, as Abraham trusts in the Lord through many difficulties. And James chapter 1 says, says this, Count it all joy, um, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So we're given Abraham as this great model of endurance, um, and we, we pray, don't we, Lord, um, uh, deliver us uh, um, lead us not into temptation or lead us not into testing, but deliver us from evil. And it's right for us to, to pray, Lord, keep me from severe trials and tests. It's right to pray for God's people, his persecuted people, that the Lord would, would, would keep them from them and deliver them out of them and deliver them from Satan's attack and from the attacks of the evil ones in them. But we know that the Lord does draw us through uh, tests and difficulties of various kinds. And some of us over the coming years will face trials and difficulties of various kinds. And some of you have been in the midst of them. And we, we know when we pray for dear brothers and sisters in the midst of various trials, maybe financial trials, maybe relationship trials, maybe health trials. God is not the author of evil and suffering, but he is sovereign over it. And he uses all these things. And within them, we are called to look to uh, the God of Abraham, the God who is trustworthy, the God who, is, who provides. And so we see Abraham and Sarah, well, Abraham here as an example of steadfast faith and obedience. Um, and we see that. But we also see uh, Christ foreshadowed wonderfully, don't we? We see Christ, the Lamb of God, Jesus, who carried the cross uh, up to Mount Moriah, Jesus, the one who was tested to the uttermost, uh, Jesus who went through the most severe test and yet was faithful to his heavenly father, Jesus who bore the curse, Jesus uh, the substitute, uh, our, uh, our, the one who died to take, take the sins of the world. So we reflect on Christ and we reflect on the love of God the Father in giving the Son uh, the love of God who loved so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So on the one hand, our response to this passage is faith and obedience like Abraham. Uh, another sense, uh, our response should just simply be to fall down and worship at the feet of Christ. Christ who, who died, Christ who rose again, the, the Lamb of God who died to to take away our sin and um, 
And perhaps, perhaps some of you are doubting whether God loves you. Well, well look at, the, look at what, he, what he gave for you. Look at Christ given for your sin. Look at the, the sacrifice made for your sin. Look at his provision. Some of you might, might wonder, uh, are my sins really forgiven? Can I be forgiven? Well, look at Christ. Look to Christ, the sacrifice for sin, and know that your sins are forgiven if you trust in Christ. He has provided for you in and through Christ. The way is open for us to come with great joy and with great happiness uh, before God, um, our God and Father. So we respond um, simply in worship as we look on the Lamb who was slain. And so may all glory and honour and power be unto God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the Sermon Podcast for Gloucester Evangelical Presbyterian Church. You can find us out online at gloucesterpres, that's P-R-E-S, dot co, dot U-K.